listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone, take your Bible with me and open up to Luke chapter 10. I'm calling today's message, Tell Me You Love Me Without Telling Me You Love Me. All right? We all love to be loved. We all want to be loved. We all need to be loved. And love will always be the most popular thing on earth because that's the way God created us. He created us out of love to love and show his love to the world. And it, it is the most powerful reflection of his character. But there's a lot of people out there who say that they love and what they're actually doing isn't truly love. There's a twisted version of love. There's a warped version of love that just isn't true love at all. And our next story, our next Jesus story in this series is on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus Jesus is going to address all of that and more in this story. And I would say many of you in this room can probably tell the story of the Good Samaritan by heart. This is a very famous story. Uh, it's the Good Samaritan is just a popular phrase now. And you don't even have to know the Bible to know a Good Samaritan is someone who goes out of the way to love someone and do something kind, right? But before we get into this, and we're going to read it in a second, I want to tell you about two major misunderstandings with this story. One is guilting yourself. All right, I guess I just have to sacrifice for everyone. I have to be all I can be, and I, and, and I have to do it all. I have to come across as this super giving person, even if I don't feel like it. Um, and you try not to think about this story too long before you start beating yourself up because you're just simply not that loving like the Good Samaritan showed. The other pitfall that people will fall into with this parable is shaming everyone else. Well, you're just not doing enough. You know, where is the church in this situation? And you should be loving them. You should be doing more. I'm sacrificing. I'm serving for people. Why don't you just shape it up? Right? Have you, have you ever felt that from someone, heard that from someone? You're not being a good Samaritan. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, both of those sentiments can come from the wrong view of this parable. But the reason that people miss the point of this parable and fall into either one of those horrible misapplicational extremes is because they miss the entire setup of Jesus telling the story of the Good Samaritan. So we're going to spend a little amount of time here, even before we get into the story, to look at the first five verses in Luke 10 that set up who is this that is talking to Jesus and why did Jesus ever share this story to begin with? Because the answer to that unlocks the key to truly understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan. So follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. 
And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of those three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's back up to the beginning of this story. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. In classic Luke fashion, he gets straight to the point and he lets us, the reader, know exactly what we need to know. Now, Anyone who has ever started a business or experimented with a new idea or tried to change the status quo into doing something better in a different new way, you probably have experienced two different types of people. There are some people who are genuine. They ask questions. They're trying to learn so they can comprehend and master the idea that you are presenting. And in a spiritual context, We could call those people genuine seekers, right? In the business world, there's people who are seriously out there asking, like, I want to understand this. So I'm asking a question because I genuinely want to know. But it doesn't really matter what you're doing because if there's any significance tied to it and you're trying to make something happen, you're trying to be an entrepreneur or make a difference, you're going to also face a different type of people, adversity. People who don't like you upsetting the status quo. And in the spiritual context, you could call these people hostile inquirers. So in a spiritual sense, there are a lot of those kind of people out there as well. Hostile inquirers. They are people who already have a predisposition to push against the truth. There's something in the Bible that they don't like. So they want to discredit the Bible so they can go their own way. And those kind of people aren't asking genuine questions to learn. They're trying to find a contradiction so they can discredit you and do whatever they want to do. This has always been the case, and I actually read this week about a story from church history. And many of you have heard the name Martin Luther. 
This is a man from another generation, another, another period of time. It was a different world back in the early 1500s when Martin Luther was one of the leading voices of the Reformation, leading, leading the world out of the dark ages that had been in spiritual captivity with the Roman Catholic Church. He was a German monk who, who read the gospel that the, the just shall live by faith, and he, he became a Christian, not based off of works, but based on his faith in Jesus Christ. And as he led the Reformation, he, he learned to be a fighter. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you a story about what he said, which is going to sh- sound a little shocking to the modern ear, but it's someone who understood the difference between a genuine seeker and a hostile inquirer. Martin Luther was having uh, a question and answer time. He was answering all these different, different questions, and someone came up and said to Martin Luther, well, hey, answer me this. What was God doing before he made the world? Sounds like it could be a decent question if it's coming from a child or something like that, but this person said it in a way that Martin Luther did not like it, and Martin Luther's answer was, uh, he was making hell for stupid people like you who ask questions like that. (laughs) So that's Martin Luther. That's a man who understood the difference between a genuine seeker and a hostile inquirer. What, now, thankfully, Jesus doesn't respond that way. But, but what kind of person do we have here talking to Jesus? Clearly. This is not a man who's ready to repent. This is not a man who is, is seeking Jesus. And you see this all the time in the Gospels. As, he, he's, as Jesus went about teaching, you always have these lawyers of the law or the Pharisees. They're popping out of bushes. They're just, they're just everywhere following him. They're always trying to trip him up and ask questions so they can discredit Jesus. And that's clearly what he's doing here. Actually, the word test is the same, the same exact word that we saw just six chapters before in Luke where, where Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He put him to the test. So this guy's trying to trip up Jesus. And... That's very important and foundational to understanding this story. Because he does ask an important question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? But what this is telling us is there are a lot of people out there that may may sound like they're asking a legitimate question on the surface. But what's behind their heart is very revealing to what actually matters. Where are they going with that? Why are they asking that question? And yes, this is a very important question. He, he comes across respectful teacher, tell us. But this student of the law, who in this time period, most likely had the entire Pentateuch memorized. So he would have had the first five books, the Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If he was a lawyer in this day, he probably had it all memorized by heart. He has all the information. He knows all the answers. And he's trying to trip up Jesus. Notice that he didn't say, what must I do to be saved? And that isn't the same question as what must I do to inherit eternal life. It may sound like the same question to many of us because we know the gospel and we are saved. We know that when we, when we find Jesus, we meet Jesus, he gives us eternal life. But there is a difference in those two questions because the first question, what must I do to be saved, implies I need help. I need saved. 
I, there's something I don't have, right? The second question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, doesn't imply I'm not enough. It implies I'm ready to get something done and do something for this. So don't miss what Jesus does in verse 26. He turns the tables on this lawyer. Jesus is in complete control, and Jesus answers his question by asking another question, which he knows will prick this guy's heart and get to the real reason why he's even asking that question to begin with. Now, most of us know what an ad hominem argument is. It's when you're debating someone, and instead of addressing their point, you just attack their character. All right? Uh, you know, instead of like actually discussing what they're trying to accomplish, maybe it's a political, political debate, instead of actually talking about the issue, oh, well, well, she's just such a terrible person. They could never be right, and, I, and you can't vote for her. And I've just ruled out whatever she has to say because I disagree with her, and, and she just rubs me the wrong way. It's ad hominem. Now, in a way, this is actually what Jesus is doing here. But Jesus isn't attacking the person. Jesus is actually exposing this guy. Jesus is going around the question at hand temporarily because he knows this person's heart. And with one question, Jesus does this in a good way. You don't see this every day. Usually, usually these kind of ad hominem attacks are on somebody's character who's, who it's the wrong way to go about it. But Jesus actually uses it in a good way because he's getting to what actually needs to be said. Because this question was asked with such a bad motive. Now, before we go any further, if you're going to understand anything that this story is trying to teach you, you do need to answer this question for yourself. Are you a genuine seeker? Or are you a hostile inquirer? There are two types of people who come to Jesus. There's the tired, hurt, broken people who come to Jesus for healing. And then there are intellectually superior people, people who are comfortable and they're in charge and they don't want to give themselves over to someone else. Which one are you? Do you come to church? Do you talk to other Christians to test them? Do you, do, are you trying to test Jesus right now? Or are you ready to trust Jesus? I, I mean, there's probably somebody in here who does not fully believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and you have not made him your Savior by giving your life to him and, and repenting and believing in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, you need this story. You need this story just like we all do. But who are you? Do you really want to know what Jesus says about your desires? Do you really want to give your heart over to someone else? Do you see your own inadequacies? Do you see your inability to be who you were created to be? Are you a seeker or are you just looking for a way out? Our country is full of people who will pump up your ego. They will make you feel great about yourself. They'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. But for any of this, the rest of this story to matter to you, you have to first realize whether you are the king of your life or whether or not you're ready to submit to another king, King Jesus. 
Do you genuinely want to know Jesus or do you want Jesus to just approve of you and what you want him to approve about you? And we live in a bizarre world where there are people who live for themselves and they indulge in their own fleshly desires and they still wear like a diamond-studded cross necklace, right? Because it's like we want to have this image, this little, I, I want to like appease my conscience that I'm doing okay, that I love Jesus, that I'm good to people. But really, they don't want to believe and they don't want to give their lives over to everything Jesus says. There's a lot of confused people out there who have no idea who Jesus really is. So moving forward, be honest with yourself. Where are you at right now? And if you want to put Jesus to the test, fine. Go for it. You know, that's the only way you're going to learn to trust him. And once you learn to trust him, then anything can come up. And you know Jesus is faithful through the ages. But I want us all to set aside your problems, you know, with people who've misrepresented Jesus Christ to you. And I ask you just to search for truth right here in this passage. Listen to where Jesus takes this conversation. So Jesus answers this question with a question of his own. And let's see what the expert in the law has to say. Here he goes. Uh, he's going to wax poetic. Verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. On the surface, very good answer. And Jesus tells him that. You're right. Correct answer. This lawyer understands Deuteronomy 6 and the direct connection between obedience to the law and the inheritance of eternal life. And he answers Jesus' question showing that the Deuteronomy 6 piece, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, is tied in with Leviticus 19, loving your neighbor as yourself. He quoted them perfectly, put them together correctly, but his heart is still in the wrong place. And Jesus knows it. So here's the part that may bother you, actually. And if you're, playing, if you're paying close attention, there's something that you can find here that is probably a little disturbing. It's, it's Jesus' first response here. And that's my second point today. Why does Jesus say, do this and you will live? Does that, does that, does that slightly bother anyone else in the room? You know, we need to stop right here and think about this. What if someone asked you, how can I find eternal life? And you say, well, hey, what do you think? How do you think you can find eternal life? Well, I think, you know, if I love God with, with every ounce of my being, if I love God with all my heart, and I do good for other people, and I, I love God, and I love others, then I'll be saved. And what if you then said... Hey, you're right. You answered correctly. Go do that, and you will live. Is there, is there a problem with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so what is going on? What is Jesus doing here? Love God, love others, and you're saved? Okay, well, there's a lot of you in that answer. There's no, there's no cross. There's no shed blood. 
Jesus' sacrifice, his atonement for your sins, none of that ownership of sin is in that answer. And Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's actually going to the cross very soon. He knows all this, but yet Jesus replies, you have answered correctly, do this. So what are we missing? We would never try to lead someone to Christ this way. What do you think Jesus is doing here? Doesn't the Bible say you love God, you obey him, and you do good? Yeah, absolutely. But that's not all. So you can know the right answer, you could still miss it, and something else is happening here. You, you, you have Jesus who knows his heart. And this guy knows the correct law. He knows what the Old Testament says, but he doesn't know Jesus. And his heart is in the wrong place. And, and right here is where we have to pause. There's another key component to this story, and I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. You can know the correct answer. You can know what's right, and you can still miss Jesus. You can still miss it. I know a lot of you were still in school. I remember when I was in school, uh, and I, I was just thinking about, like, the, it's that terrible feeling to know an answer on a test and to, like, misread it and put the wrong answer down, right, even when you actually knew it. I remember I had a history of England class in college, and it was a really tough class because we had four tests the whole year, and, that, and those four tests were 80% of our grade. The other 20% was a paper. But on those, on those four tests, each test had four questions, okay? So if you do the math there, like every question mattered a lot to your final grade. And every question, there was no multiple choice. There was no like anything like that, fill in the blank. It was just essay question. And you had to write three pages per question. So you really had to read the question. And sometimes, a couple times, I knew the correct answer, but I, I didn't write it down on the paper. I just didn't, I didn't notice what I needed to actually say. It's a terrible feeling. You can definitely go through life, know what you're supposed to do, you know the right thing, and you still miss it. And that's what's going on here. Jesus tells him, you're right, go and do this and you will live, because Jesus knows that he's not repentant. And Jesus also knows that this guy knows he can't do that. He can't keep the law like that. No one can love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly. We've all failed at that, including this lawyer. So Jesus sets him up and says something that will now expose his heart even more. Instead of just casting his pearls before swine, instead of just saying everything and, and, and like hitting him over the head with a Bible verse, Jesus asks another question that's going to reveal even more. This lawyer actually does know that he can't fulfill the law, but this lawyer wants to look good. He's, he's full of himself. He wants to be that guy that everyone is in awe of. Anyone know people like this? Are you a person like this? So, so Jesus is about to usher in a way of salvation and at the same time, Jesus sticks with the Old Testament law for a minute. Do that and you will live. He knows that no one can love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. He knows that they can't love their neighbor as themselves completely in their own strength. So Jesus replies in a way, 
and the lawyer takes the bait. Jesus is all about exposing the heart here, like he always is. But in doing it this way, Jesus actually is telling us another very, very important thing that you cannot miss. Jesus is making it clear that the new covenant never sets aside the moral demands of the old covenant. Do you see that? Please listen closely right now. This is vital. This is a truth that is by and large misunderstood by the American evangelical church. This is the truth that isn't fully acknowledged by many Christians today. For many brothers and sisters in Christ, you're genuinely saved. But practically speaking, you think, look, I trust Jesus. Now the Old Testament law doesn't really matter anymore at all. It has nothing to do with me now. You may not say that out loud. You would never probably admit to just chucking out the Old Testament, the Old Covenant out the window. At the very least, maybe you would say the law is the schoolmaster that leads me to Christ, which is 100% correct. But the Old Testament law not only reveals your need for a Savior, no one can keep the law. It proves you're, you're a sinner and you need a sinless Savior. But it also is still true. It reveals God's character. It reveals who He is. And Jesus is the Savior. He never sinned. He took your place. He suffered through the death that you deserve. But the new covenant never sets aside the moral demands of the old old covenant. It always affirms the moral demands. And Jesus told us, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself is an act of obedience that sets you apart from the rest of the lawless world out there. We can't be saved by obedience to the law because we have all failed. We have all failed it. Your righteousness is as filthy rags to God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So here, Jesus is not saying that loving deeds will save you. He's simply confirming that loving God and loving others is a mark of being God's child. That's what he's saying. If you do that, you will live. Well, we can't do that. But Jesus did. And that's why we have to look to Jesus and live. So Jesus is exposing this man because it's not what he wanted to hear from Jesus. And Jesus has this man agitated and on the defensive, so he does what these kind of people always do. He asks another question that will make him look better. He can't let it rest right there. But before we get into that, I don't want you to miss this. Loving God and loving others is an identifier of being a child of God. It shows the difference between those who know about God and those who know God. And Jesus didn't want to just throw that away. Because it actually does reveal whether you're a Christian or not. A lot of people, if you would ask them, even Christians, if you would ask them, how do you know you're saved? What would they say? Well, because I prayed a prayer. I asked Jesus to save me. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. That's how I know I'm saved. Do you realize that's not what Jesus is saying is the identifier or the proof right here? What is Jesus saying? He's actually saying, you know what? How do you know you're saved? You're loving people. That's how you know. You have to have the belief in Jesus Christ. You have to know the correct theology. And you have to 
know Jesus, and then he changes you, and then you actually do love people. You do love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then you start loving your neighbor as yourself. You incrementally start getting more and more like Jesus Christ. But the answer of, how do you know you're saved? Well, are you spiritually breathing? Are you alive? Do you have a spiritual pulse? How do you know you have a spiritual pulse? You must love people. That's what Jesus is pointing out. It's not just having the right answer in a textbook. It's actually, don't just tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Tell me you love me without telling me you love me. All right. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, how do you know that you're my disciples? By your love for one another. And this is where the story really gets going. (laughs) Um, This lawyer, he thought he was a really good guy. And the religious dogma of the day was actually do not love the sinner. You know, love the people who are doing right, but do not love the people who are doing the wrong. But is that really love? What if you only loved people who loved you? Maybe I could say it another way. What if you only are nice to people who who like you? If you're only loving the people who, who you enjoy? It's not a very good picture of Christ's love, is it? Hang on to those thoughts. We're going to come back to that. Um, Jesus knows this guy can't do it. On his best day, no one can fully love this way. And I hope you're starting to see how this story isn't necessarily going in the direction that the lawyer thought it would go, or maybe even you thought it would go. But just to review, the problem with, with this man's question wasn't the verb do, it's the personal pronoun I. Why doesn't Jesus immediately correct him? The answer is pretty complicated. But it's not because loving God and loving others has nothing to do with salvation. They aren't good works that will save you. Of course not. You can only be saved by grace through faith. But they are evidence of your salvation. So it's not what you do. It's what God does for you. And none of us can love exactly like the Good Samaritan. We can certainly make an effort to be more like Christ. We seek him and we're filled with the spirit. We do love in a way that we could never love before. But the point of this story is not to shame you or guilt you or challenge you to try harder. It's to show you your own weakness and it's to show you the might of your savior, Jesus Christ. The lawyer hasn't gotten that yet. And Jesus doesn't miss an opportunity. Instead of debating him, he tells a story that reveals his heart. And we can all learn from Jesus here not to nitpick with people about their theology. (laughs) You know, I mean, Jesus could have schooled him mentally. Jesus could win any argument, but instead he's going to tell a story. And we do need to take this one to heart because you can win the argument and lose the person. You can just hit them with verses one after another. And if they're not ready to receive it, it's only going to harden their heart more and more. What did this man need, this lawyer? He did not need more instruction. He did not need a theological debate. He did not need more proof text. He needed to be humbled, and he needed to be loved. 
There are people in your life who need the same thing. Maybe that's what you need. There's a lot of people who are hard. Their their hearts are cold. They're running away from God. They don't need you to just debate them and attack them and to prove to them that they're wrong. They need to be humbled. Many times the only way they're going to be humbled is if they are loved. So Jesus is going to tell a story about true love. I told you, I warned you we had a lot to set up in the first five verses. I promise you we're going to pick this up. But this is so important to understand the foundation of this before we get into this. Real love. The only way to break through to people like this is with real love, which is what this story is about. All right. Verses 30 through 37. I already read it. I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read these verses again. But there's three different people in this story. There's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Both the priest and the Levite, they had status. They were supposed to be the good guys. They had authority. People looked up to them. They had all the answers. But neither one of them had the love that Jesus was talking about. And so many times in our fallen world, the people that we look up to, the people who are supposed to love, don't really love out of a pure heart. So what is the difference between real love or doing something nice for someone who you like? What is the difference? Well, does it cost you anything? Let's start with that. Right? You see that in this story? There's so many people in the world today, even in the church today, who have the spirit of, I will love you if you're like me. If you're like me, yeah, absolutely. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. You're just like me. We agree. And we, and we, we love that. We love that you agree with me and that we're together on this. And yeah, we're partners. That spirit is true today, and it was true then. It's very much still alive. But the mark of real love is always found in sacrifice. God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Samaritan loved in a way that was costly and inconvenient. And that's the same sort of love we see from our Savior, Jesus Christ. My last point today, number three, is does your love cost you something? Jesus does tell this man, go and do likewise. And that's obviously something that we need to personalize. Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving anyone like this with a sacrificial love? But remember, Jesus isn't telling this story to guilt you He's not telling this story so that you can go around and shame other people. This isn't, he's not telling you this story right here. The story of the Good Samaritan, the takeaway just isn't, okay, I got to give every homeless person the shirt off my back. Otherwise, I guess I'm not good enough of a Christian. That's not the point here of this story. You can, you can do that if you feel led, absolutely, of course. And, and many times you are going to be led to do that. And the church does uh, exponentially give out of, out of a heart of grace and compassion. I love that about the church. Our church does that. Many churches do. 
But if that's your only takeaway from the story, you're missing so much more. So please follow me here. Of course, Jesus wants you to love your neighbor. But what else is Jesus teaching? Well, the priest and the Levite, they both lived in the temple. They were men of God of high standing. They had to even remain ceremoniously clean. So when Jesus says in verse 31 and 32 that they both crossed over on the other side, what Jesus is doing is he is cutting to the heart of this lawyer and he's cutting to the heart of every prideful person who thinks they're too good to help someone else. Because that person is just a wreck and that person is a mess. And you know, look at me, I didn't make those same bad choices. And I'm actually better than them. The wrong, that's the wrong way to think about yourself. Because who are you really? Every single child of God in this room is a recipient of grace. We're all recipients of grace. So this man in this story, this lawyer, he knows that he would do the exact same thing as the priest and the Levite. There are a lot of people who are more concerned with their appearance and how their image is being perceived and they don't have enough love to get down in the mud and get their hands dirty and really truly love someone. That's what Jesus is calling out. And this is where Jesus actually really cranks it up in the story right here when the Samaritan comes along. Because if you aren't familiar with the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, I'll just tell you this. Uh, there's nothing like it as far as racism goes in our country at all, okay? It was, it was terrible. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And to this lawyer, a Samaritan couldn't do anything right. They were wicked. They were terrible. They can't do anything right. And according to the rabbinic literature of the day, all of what this guy would have been taught, teaching and what he would have been taught, you only had to be a neighbor to the Israelites, if they aren't like you, well, they aren't your neighbor. And as a matter of fact, you are better than them because you are God's chosen people. And that sounds really ugly, doesn't it? But let's just step back. How close to that do we find ourselves? Well, look at who I am. Look at what God did for me. Look, look I am a Christian. They're not. There's a lot of people who still think the same way. You can't think that way because God showed his love for you and that while you were still a, still a sinner, Christ died for you. So that's the kind of love right here that you need to show others. Show them the same love that you have received from your Savior, Jesus Christ. And when the lawyer asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he asks the second question, who is my neighbor? It shows that his focus was in the wrong place. He was only concerned with the correct theology, which is a great start. But Jesus shows that knowing the right answer is insufficient if you don't know the love of God and you're not shining the love of God. All the correct Bible knowledge is useless if it doesn't lead to life transformation. Did you hear that? You can know the right thing and you can still you can know the right answer but still miss it. 
if it doesn't lead to life transformation, if it doesn't lead to you not just saying you love, but showing that you love. Jesus shows the lawyer that he was asking the wrong questions. The question isn't, who is my neighbor? Instead, he should be asking, how can I be a good neighbor? Do you see the difference there? The shift? It's very subtle. The question should be, how can I live out my beliefs? You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to prop yourself up and make yourself feel better about what you've done. How can I show the love of God to other people? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. This lawyer isn't the only one who does this. We can do the same thing. We can all look for loopholes to get out of doing things for other people so we can do more for ourselves. And Jesus here is expanding the parameters of who is your neighbor. And he's doing it to show his love for the world. To drive his point home, Jesus poses the question to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? Verse 36. And the, and the lawyer can't even say his name. The one who showed mercy. He can't even bring himself to admit that the Samaritan was, better, was a better neighbor than he would have been. But he still can't ignore the obvious message of the parable. He knows what he must do now. He, and he's wrestling with it. Will he actually live that way? Because just loving people who like you and agree with you and make you feel good isn't the kind of love that God showed for us. While you were still a sinner, God showed his love for you and sent Jesus into this world to die for you. And that's the theme of this story. Real love is costly. It's going to be hard. It's going to be inconvenient. But, but it's what we must do. It's who we are as Christians. Why? Because Jesus did that for us. How can we do something like that? When you know Jesus and you remember what he did for you, that will inspire you to go out there and love others. In this story, I'll tell you this. A lot of us just think, you, you get the do, go and do likewise piece and are like, all right, I'm going to go out there and do it. I'm going to go be a good Samaritan. And great, like, of course, partially, yes, that's, that's an obvious application. That's the obvious takeaway, right? But in this story, I'm going to give you a little help here. You're actually not the good Samaritan. You're not. You are the person who is broken and beaten, half dead, naked on the side of the road, beaten by the robbers. And then the good Samaritan comes along and pulls you out of the miry pit and saves you. Jesus heals your wounds. Jesus sacrifices everything. He lavishly pours out his grace. He goes above and beyond so that we can get back on our feet and move forward on the path and be a reflection of his love for someone else. We are never going to love everyone perfectly. We're going to fall back into selfishness at times. 
But our journey isn't about impressing others or being that superior spiritual person that everyone is in awe of. That's not our goal. None of us will ever fully and consistently be the Good Samaritan. And we shouldn't expect others to be that for us either. The point here isn't to love people better. The point is love everyone the way God loved you. Not just people who are like you, but people who you don't even like. People who are even your enemies because you were once an enemy of God. The point isn't to guilt you or shame someone else. The point of this Jesus story is not to make it all about you. It's to highlight his perfect love. And the symbolism in this story is striking. The Samaritan was hated by the religious leaders. Right? They hated, I mean, of course. The lawyer hated the Samaritans. The priest hated the Samaritans. The Levite hated the Samaritans. You know who else was hated by the religious leaders? Jesus Christ. The good Samaritan rescued the person that needed him the most as Jesus did for you on the cross. And Jesus did all of this out of love for someone who could never repay him. It's exactly what we saw in the story, the good Samaritan. He's not expecting anything back. He gives enough, and then he actually gives, he's like, I'm going to come back for more. If, if what I gave isn't covered at all, don't worry, I'll come back for more. Grace upon grace upon grace. You can see that reflection of the Good Samaritan exactly in what our Savior has done for us. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.